You're listening to teaching from the Castle Hills Christian Church in San Antonio, Texas. More information about Castle Hills Christian Church is available at chccsa.com. Well, today, as Monica mentioned, we are starting a new series uh, called The Vow. It's a four-part series. Uh, It was inspired by Craig Rochelle out of Edmond, Oklahoma. And we're going to talk about some marriage principles that will hopefully encourage us in our marriages. How many of you know of a marriage that could use a a little checkup, a little tune-up, maybe a marriage that's struggling? How many of you know of someone who's experienced divorce? Chances are we all know someone who's experienced divorce in this room. Some of us have experienced divorce. In, in our culture, there's a lot of marriages that are, that are struggling. Almost every week, it seems like we get a prayer request or a call for our staff or for our elders to pray over a relationship that's going through hard times. And, and so we want to take, over the next four weeks, some time to address some of those core principles that the Bible lays out. Now, some of you are saying, well, Ronnie, I'm single. Uh, can I just drink a cup of coffee and check Facebook and, and social media or play games? And, and, or can I just not come the next four weeks? And I'm like, no, you, you need, still need to be here because we're going to talk about relationship principles as well. And, and we want to encourage you. And chances are uh, you know someone that may be struggling in marriage and hopefully you can give them a little wisdom. And there's a chance that you might get married in the future. You might just want to file this back. I also want to tell you on July the 8th, we're going to talk about singleness. We're going to talk about the joys. We're going to talk about the frustrations. We're going to talk about some of the misconceptions. And so keep that in mind uh, as well. On July the 8th, that sermon is going to be especially for you. But as we go through this series, could I encourage you to especially pray for our marriages? Uh, Encourage them and invite other people who may be struggling or just want to be encouraged in their marriage uh, over the course of the next four weeks. I was reading the average cost of a wedding in the United States. Anybody have a guess how much that cost would be? What what is it? Before you show up on the screen, what's your guesses? 35,000? 27,000? 50? 25? The average cost in the United States is over $33,000. In New York, the average is about 76, almost $77,000. Some of you are like, well, I got married for $100. (laughs) Now we're spending spending the night at the Motel 6. I brought up a website that gave the average cost of a wedding per zip code. 78213, our zip code here at the church, the average was $17,215. 78240, that Leon Valley Medical Center area, $22,000. 78209, Alamo Heights, 09 area, almost $33,000, 329. Uh, 78248, that Bitters Road, Hevener area, 38.7. And then in Stone Oak, the average, just the average, almost $41,000, 40954 And can you imagine spending that mo- amount of money? Some of you probably have spent that amount of money. You can't imagine it. That's a lot of money. 
Any guesses on the average cost of a divorce in Texas? $500? Not even close. Not any. 8000 Someone said 15000 The average cost by Lawyers.com says the average cost of a divorce in Texas is $15,600. It's about 20% higher in the state of Texas than the national average. Everything's bigger in Texas, even including the... The cost of divorce, right? Now, if we spend this amount on weddings, how much more should we invest in the marriage? And if divorce costs this amount, just on the lawyers, not counting child care and switching documents and figuring out housing and, and all of the emotional pain, don't you think that it's worth spending even more time investing into the marriage? Not just the, just the party that we have, the wedding, but what if we spent time investing into the marriage? To, to have a solid marriage, you need a solid foundation. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus tells a parable, a, a story to his audience. Read it with me. It says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise, the winds beat against that house. It won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish. It's like the person who builds a house on the sand. When the rain and floods come and the winds beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. And when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. For he taught with real authority, quite unlike the other teachers of the religious law. In the Palestinian desert, it would be much easier to build on the sand rather than to dig down to the rock. And that would have been quite hard to, to do that. It's easier for us to listen to God's word, to profess that we're Christians, than to actually obey. Right? It's a whole lot easier to read God's word, to, to listen, than to obey. These two houses looked the same by any passerbyers. Anyone that passed by the house, they'd say, oh, the houses look the same. But the difference was when the storm hit, then you could tell who was built on a strong foundation. The same is true in marriage. Two marriages can look the same when things are going easy, but when tough things happen, when stress enters into the marriage, when the bills pile up, when the career gets tough, then we find out what that marriage is really built on. When, when we think about what our foundations are built on today, I mean, we hire engineers and architects. We, we get permits from the city and, and we haul in dirt and we, and we make sure the concrete's reinforced over and over and over to make sure that we have a strong foundation in the house that you live in. And, and when that foundation is not strong, then what happens? We, we get cracks in the wall and in the, in the floor, and we have all kinds of issues with the house from plumbing and, and all of those other things. And the same thing happens in our marriage. When we don't have a strong foundation, it gets cracks, and then we have problems, and, and it's a whole big mess. Many marriages are built on sand or on weak foundations, such as financial gain. 
Or if I get married, it's, hey, my status is going to be much higher than what it was before. Or I get married because, because I wanted to have children. I want to be a mom or dad. Or I get married because of physical parents, of lust. Oh, she looks so good. I just wanted to marry her. Or he looks so good. Some people get married out of convenience. Or they want companionship. Some people get married because of emotion. They fall in and out of love. Some people get married because of desperation. I, I'm getting old. I better, better marry someone. Some people get married because of selfishness. I, I, they, they want my desires, my wants, my needs. That, that's a weak foundation. Some people have unrealistic expectations. We all have expectations going into marriage. We, we think this person's going to do A, B, and C, and they don't always reach those. And when they don't meet our expectations, sometimes our, our marriage is kind of like that tower. It begins to shake. It begins to... To wobble. Jimmy Evans, a pastor in Fort Worth, says four basic needs that all human beings are instinctively motivated to satisfy all their lives are, first of all, acceptance, knowing that you are loved and needed by others, two, identity, knowing that you are individually significant and special, three, security, knowing that you are well protected and provided for, and fourth, purpose, knowing that you have a reason for living. And we're driven to satisfy these needs. And, and we try to do this in a wide variety of ways. Sometimes we try to do it by ourselves. We, we say, hey, I, I'm going to find acceptance and identity and security and purpose in myself. Sometimes we do it through our spouse to reach these needs. Sometimes we do it through our friends or our children. Sometimes we do it through our jobs and our careers. Sometimes through church and our pastors. Sometimes from our parents. Sometimes through God. Sometimes through money and material possessions. Sometimes it's a combination of the ones that I mentioned. Who meets your deepest needs? In your everyday life, who or what do you seek first to fulfill your needs of acceptance, of identity, of security, and purpose? You may say, well, I know I'm supposed to say God, but if I'm honest, I often seek others. Others for approval, for acceptance, for my identity. Instead of God. Many times we expect our spouses to meet all of our needs. I, I, I need everyone to un understand this important truth. No human being can meet all of your deepest needs. No human being can meet all of your deepest needs. Only God can. Our spouses were never meant to be our Messiah. Our spouses were never meant to be our Messiah, to take care of all of our needs. Craig Rossell says, often we idolize and then we demonize. And what he means by that is, so often we, we idolize this person. Oh, they are so great. They're meeting all my needs. They're doing this and this and this. And then the next thing you know, we find out they're human and they're not perfect and then we begin to see all of their flaws. And, and we tear them down. Well, we do this with our spouses. Oh, they're great, they're great, they're great. And then they didn't make me feel loved, or they didn't do the dishes, or they didn't pick up the clothes off the floor. And next thing you know, we demonize them. I, I've been in church long enough to see the same thing happen. Sometimes with our staff, sometimes with our eldership. 
uh, oh man, you know, the staff is awesome, the elders are awesome, they're doing this and this and this for me. And next thing you know, they find out we're human and we make mistakes and, and we don't always do everything perfect. And then just as much as they exaggerated how great we were, they exaggerate how bad we were as well. We, we, we probably do that with our friends as well. We, we idolize and then we demonize. And some of you are frustrated with your spouse right now. You gripe about how they're not meeting your needs. But God never created your spouse to meet all of your needs. That wasn't his design. And some of you have unrealistic expectations. And for those of you who are single, God didn't create your best friend to be your Messiah either, to, to satisfy all of your needs. There's not one person that can meet all of your needs. Your job, your house, your car, your bank account cannot fulfill all of your needs. You can work really hard. You can think, well, I'm just going, I'm, I'm just going to be a loner and I'm going to fulfill all my needs. You're going to end up burned out and tired. You can't reach all of your needs. Now, let me even take it a step further. When you act like your spouse is your Messiah, when you expect someone else to meet all of your needs, you are making them a God. And guess what? You will always be disappointed. Because as great as your spouse, as great as your friend is, as great as your family member is, as great as your pastor is, they make a terrible God. On top of this, it's repeated over and over in Scripture. God wants you to worship Him and not others. The Ten Commandments, Exodus 25, says, You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. God wants to be number one. And it's so easy, it's so easy to put something else at the foundation of our lives. Exodus 34, 14 says, You must not worship other gods, for the Lord whose very name is what? Jealous is a God who is jealous about his relationship with you. So often we take good things, our spouse, our friendship, our children, our jobs, and we replace them with God. Or, I mean, we replace them in God's place and make them the foundation of our relationship. It's important to understand this word jealous. So often when we use the word jealous, we use it in a negative term. When we think of being envious of someone's good looks or someone's car or someone's house or someone's amazing musical abilities or their athletic ability or someone's hair. I mean, you, we, we just have all these things that we get envious about. But when in the book of Exodus, God's not envious like this. Notice that when, he, when he's talking about being jealous, that God is uh, someone who, God is jealous because you're giving affection to someone else that doesn't deserve it. Let me explain it this way. If a husband sees another man flirting with his wife, he has the right to be jealous, for he only has the right to flirt with his wife. And this is the type of jealousy that's not sinful. Rather, it's entirely appropriate, 
Being jealous of something that God declares that belongs to you is, is good and appropriate. Jealousy is a sin when it's a desire for something that does not belong to you. And worship and praise and honor belong to God alone. He's worthy of these things. And when we take these good things and we begin to, to expect them to reach our needs, that's what we're doing. We're worshiping them instead of him. Many marriages are in trouble because we've made our spouses into the foundation instead of God. Jesus said, to summarize the, the law, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. God first, and then people. Love your neighbor as yourself. So often, that's the issue in marriage, is it's a God problem. Francis Chan, a wonderful preacher, says, as a pastor, and you'll see it up on screen, as a pastor for 20 years, I've come to the conclusion that most marriage problems are not really marriage problems. They are God problems. They can be traced back to one or both people having a poor relationship with God or a faulty understanding of Him. Instead of treating symptoms of an unhealthy marriage, what if we address what it means to have a healthy relationship with God? In my experience working with marriages and even looking at my own marriage, most of the time when I have problems in my marriage, it's because my relationship with God has gotten off track. And I really think that we need to go back to the basics. Where are we at with God? Where are we at with God? Lisa Chan, Francis' wife, says, if we spend more time staring at God rather than at, what if we spent more time staring at God rather than at, our, at ourselves and at each other? Revelation 4, the Bible speaks of the angels in the presence of God. And day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who is and who was and who is to come. All they ever do is look at God and declare how holy he is. They're doing it right now. They're doing it without ceasing. And if they're doing that, doesn't it make sense that we would spend at least part of our day connecting with God, reading His Word, worshiping Him, serving Him, meditating on Him. Lisa continues, when we don't stare at God, we spend time staring at lesser things, namely, ourself. Psalm 27.4 says, One thing I've asked the Lord that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, and to what? To gaze, to stare upon the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. And just imagine if we're standing before the throne of God for a moment. You're gazing at the king. Would all the things that we argue about really make sense? The things that we, that let us, that irritate us, that bother us, are they really that important? Anybody have silly arguments in their marriage or in their life? There is, in my marriage, we have argued about some really dumb things. I'm talking about, well, where do you want to go eat at, honey? I don't care, where do you want to eat at? And we go back and forth, back and forth. And so I say a place, well, I don't want to eat there. And then she says a place, well, I don't want to eat there. 
And then we just go home and eat because we can't make it up and we're mad at each other. We get mad about housekeeping and who's the better driver and the way that the silverware should go in the dishwasher and paint color, all of these little things that don't matter. But when we build our marriage on what our expectations, our desires, it begins to wobble and and these little things become big things and they cause problems for us. What if we, in our marriages and in our life, spent more time staring at God, meditating on Him? I have a feeling that we become a lot more patient with each other. Even when we're driving on 410 or 1604 or whatever, we might even be more patient with other drivers when we're meditating on God. So here's the vow. Each week we're going to have a vow. And here's the vow today. And and I want to say it, and then I want you to, to think about it. And then I want you to repeat it with me. I promise God will be my first priority. Would you repeat that with me? I promise God will be my first priority. Maybe God started off being the foundation of your marriage. But over time, he got shuffled out. I want you to spend some time reflecting this week. Is God really the foundation of your life? Is he really the foundation of your marriage? And if he is, how much time do you spend with God? How much time do you spend with God compared to TV or your phone or your job? How much time do you spend meditating on God? And I know some of you are saying, what? but Ronnie, you don't understand. I'm a busy person. You don't think God's busy? What if you said, you know what, I'm busy, but on the way to work, I'm going to listen to God's word. And I'm just going to let it penetrate my heart. What if you said, you know, I'm going to make a commitment. I'm going to make an extra effort to make sure that I'm growing in my walk with God. That he's a priority in my life. That each night when I get home, I'm going to walk around the block and I'm going to pray for my neighbors. And I'm going to pray for this church. And I'm going to pray for all the people that's in my life. I'm just going to spend time talking and listening to God. I'm going to do that each night. I'm going to be committed to doing that. And for our marriages, I I mentioned this book a couple weeks ago, but I think it could be very helpful to your marriage. It's called You and Me Forever, Marriage in Light of Eternity by Francis and Lisa Chan. And now here's the cool thing. As of a week ago, and, and hopefully it's still going, if you download the app, they have a little app by the same name. If you download the app, you get the book for free. And, and I know some of you, you like a good deal. And so this is a really good deal. You, you download the app and, and have you and your spouse start reading through it. Start answering some of the questions at the end of each chapter. But I can tell you the theme of the book is that your marriage should reflect Christ. That it has to be the foundation of your marriage. What if we all made that commitment to be closer to God? Just imagine what would happen. Relationships would be stronger. Marriages would be stronger. Incredible things would be happening. And people would say, well, man, what's so different? And you can say, because Christ is the foundation of my life. 
Christ is the foundation of my marriage. So I want to encourage you, let God be your first priority.